We began actually several weeks ago. We've had a little break from our series in spiritual warfare. Um, as we've titled the series, The War. Um, we're all in this war, whether you want to be or not, whether you like it or not, um, we're in a war. And one of our main thesis of the whole study is that spiritual war is a conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that's being manifest in the visible physical realm. In other words, our senses are not the ultimate reality. There's a war going on. We don't see it. And at the very least, it influences what we see on earth. If we're going to fight this war, if we're going to win it and walk in victory day in and day out, we need to understand what's going on. The scriptures tell us an awful lot. So I've tried hard, and we together are kind of walking through this step by step to paint the full biblical picture of what this war is, the combatants, what we're up against, where our victory lies, what scripture says weapons are available, all these things we're talking about to paint a biblical worldview of spiritual warfare. Before we go any further, um, we need to pray, so let's do that. Lord Jesus, we come and proclaim you as Lord. We've just sung, there is no one like you. There is no other king. There is no other who died and rose from the dead and conquered death, hell, and Hades. There is no other but you. We bow before your lordship this morning. We proclaim you are Lord, that you are king, and you have no rival. And Lord, as we study this topic of the war we're in, may we never forget you have no rival. And in you there's victory. So Lord, give us insight. Help us understand your word in a greater way, Lord, that we could apply it to our lives so we could walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Some weeks ago, we talked about our adversary, Satan, the devil. This, this one-time angel who was part of worshiping God who rebelled and took with him a host of other angels that are now called fallen angels or demons. We not only have one adversary, we have a multitude of adversaries. And the scriptures over 80 times in the New Testament refer to these adversaries as demons. Let's read a passage from Luke chapter 8, 26 through 39, which we get a snapshot of our adversaries. Luke 8, verse 26, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of God, the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What's your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. 
Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled. They told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerasenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. He went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This passage alone tells us a lot about demons, their nature, their goal, and so I want to learn from it and talk first of all about demons' nature. What does the scriptures here tell us and other passages confirm? First of all, demons are personal beings. I mean, the evidence in not only this account, but multitudes of others in the the Gospels, they display primary attributes of personality. Notice, they recognize Jesus. They're able to speak through this man. They use his voice. They even beg Jesus not to torment them. And so we see this sense, I guess you could say, that demons are personal beings. Now, when you and I see people doing all kinds of evil, the usual assumption is they're insane, just like this man. That would have been the assumption. But the scriptures tell us there was more behind it. There was demonic oppression, attack, influence, whatever phrase you want to use at this point. There's demonic bondage. Reality, he was under severe demonic oppression. And we must consider this. It's a serious spiritual warfare as we look at this context, even of the world around us, of people who are in insane asylums, those who are considered mad. It's not that in every case, I'm not saying that, that there's demonic oppression, but there probably is quite a few of them. And that if you ignore that element of it, there's never going to be freedom. And so we learn about demons, their personal beings. We also learn their spirit beings. Luke eleven twenty four to 26, you, uh, you might want to circle that to look it up. But we're told that they're restless. They're looking for a place to set up operations. Demon calls a man's body in Luke 11 a house. It's a place he can inhabit. He can express his evil desires. So they're spirit beings. They're powerful beings. In Luke 8, this demon, causing man, this demon was causing man to do violent things. Gave him a unique strength. He could break chains. I found it interesting in Revelation 9, 3-6. through 6, In the future, there's demonic influence would come in the form of locusts. And that text tells us that this demonic influence would bring people to the place that they would want to take their own life. That they'd want to commit suicide. When you read about suicide, we grieve, but be assured behind it, there's been some deception whispered in the ear of a person that they'd be better off dead. And so we know that demons, they're deceptive. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but they're also powerful. Let me give you a true story. Years ago, I lived um, back in Wisconsin. This was when I was working with youth uh, as a volunteer in a church. And um, we had a youth program on, like, Wednesday night, like we do here. And across the street from the church was this uh, 
trailer park. And we were just blessed to have a bunch of kids from the trailer park come. And, and one particular evening um, was no different, regular group night, nothing. We weren't doing anything different. Um, I had a teacher run upstairs and, and say, Matt, you know, we could use some help down here. And uh, we have a kid out of control. Now, when you think kid out of control, you think, well, my kid. No, just kidding. Um, but, but a kid who's just kind of, you know, a little rambunctious, got a little energy. That was not the case here. This was like an eight, nine-year-old boy doing things that an eight, nine-year-old boy do not do. Like shoving big men to the ground. This, there was something really demonic going on here. And as we tried to gain the control, he's trying to hurt people. He's throwing things. I said he's, he's pushing adults away. We finally got him down and prayed over him, the name of Jesus, and he calmed. As the name of Jesus is pretty threatening. Now we have to call a mom, somehow explain what's going on. We have her over. She's not a believer. This is all new to her. And so, long story short, we get out of her a little bit that there's some avenues her and a couple neighbors were involved with, were, which had opened the door to demonic opposition. Now, we don't see that every day. <laughs> but I can testify, I saw it that night. It was a little scary to see the power of a demonic influence, what it can bring. So demons are powerful, and they're perverted. I mean, when they rejected God, they earned another name. Jesus calls them in this text, an unclean spirit, an evil spirit. You see, demons pervert the word. Now understand, the reason we're talking separate Satan and then a separate message on his adversaries is Satan's not equal to God. He needs demons to carry out his agenda. Whereas God uses angels not out of necessity, but out of choice. He chooses to. He doesn't need them. But for Satan to carry out his agenda, he needs demons. And these demons are perverted beings. So they're personal, they're spirit beings, they're powerful beings, they're perverted beings. We also learn from this text and scriptures that demons have an agenda. You could probably say the program of hell in one sentence is this. The program of hell, the demonic agenda is to promote Satan and oppose everything God is doing and everything God is. That's really the essence of spiritual warfare. Let's start with the first thing, promote Satan. How? How do demons promote Satan? Well, 1 Timothy 4, we're going to a couple texts here. I'm not going to get to all these. There's just too numerous, so hopefully you'll look them up this week. But 1 Timothy 4, one ways demons promote Satan is to promote Satan's doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. And look at this and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage or require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. This takes kind of the attacks back to the garden. The first aspect of Satan's doctrine is the doctrine that God is not good. That God's holding out. That God doesn't care about you. That we're robots. God's just playing a game. But at the core, the demons would say, God's not good. 
They would even say one step further and say the Christian life is negative. So look at what he says about this. They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods. I mean, all these things, it's, it's negative. It's, it's no. And when your Christian life is reduced to you can'ts and won'ts, you've been duped. Christian life is it's about grace and following the freedom in Christ. Yes, there's commands to be obeyed. I'm not saying that. But if your Christian life is about works only, it's about don't do that, 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 and maybe you'll find favor with God. You've been duped. That's not the gospel. Demons want you and I to live with ingratitude. Look at all the things we don't have. I find it interesting. I read a study this past week. They did it. I don't know how the study formed or exactly how they pulled it off, but their conclusions to this one study was this. That of the thoughts people have, 70% of thoughts people have on average are negative and defeating. 70%. That leaves only 30 that are either neutral or positive. So our thoughts, no wonder we need to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have an enemy whispering negativity, don't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, don't do this. And we begin to believe it. To the point that 70%, according to the study, is negative thinking, defeatist thinking. Demons work to move Christ out of the center of your life. And when he can do that, we begin to think negatively. Defeatist attitude. Demons work hard to undermine the gospel of God. That's why I think legalism is so destructive and dangerous. At the root of legalism is an enemy who wants you and I to be in bondage to our sin, and to works. And so don't be duped. This is why the gospel is key to the transformation of people and society, because it takes the Holy Spirit to break through the fog of this satanic doctrine that demons promote. Demons also promote Satan's destructiveness. Luke 13, I just want to look at two verses. I'm not going to do justice to breaking down the whole text, but I just want us to reference something that's taking place here in Luke 13. Luke 13, we'll look at verse 11 first. This is a woman who has, who's been bound. And uh, it's, her, her bondage is being associated with spiritual warfare. Verse 11. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. If you go down to verse 16. And ought not this woman, this is Jesus speaking, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. I mean, Satan's activity in this woman's life brought bondage, destroyed her ability to function physically with greater freedom. She was, you could say, debilitated. Now, I'm not saying all illnesses and other serious problems are demonically orchestrated. I'm not saying that. But in this woman's case, it was revealed it was the case. But I would wonder if maybe more physical and emotional illnesses are demonically influenced than we maybe would be willing to admit. Mainly because we're so unaware of what's going on in the spiritual realm. We don't stop to bring it into the equation of things. It's often not what we pray about when we think of sickness or people really struggling with things. It's not that we look at people saying, oh, they're demonically possessed. I'm not saying that, but uh, the enemy attacks different ways, and um, we got to be aware of it. And de demons promote Satan's destructiveness. 
The good news is when Jesus came, he destroyed the works of the devil, Hebrews tells us. When you and I come to Jesus Christ, demons lose whatever um, power they have over people. So now, the prog- now their program is to destroy our joy and peace, to kill our effectiveness, if I may, for Christ. But in Christ, there's abundant life. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. I want to I entertain two questions that I've been asked that you may have. Can Christians be demon-possessed? This is a question I've been asked. So let's, let's, let's talk about it briefly. The term demon possession has confused many. And I think for many the confusion lies in the inaccurate understanding of the word possession. Demon possession does not mean ownership. Satan and demons own nothing. And so if we're talk, trying to talk in those terms, you're talking about a dynamic the scriptures don't talk about. Spiritual possession clearly implies ownership, and it would seem to include the control over one's eternal destiny, which Satan and his demons have no control over. The issue, then, is not ownership. The issue is one of control and influence. The Scriptures command us to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We can open ourselves up to be influenced and controlled by Satan, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We can be deceived. This is true. But that's because we haven't gone to the scriptures to uh, identify those schemes. We can allow Satan to get a foothold in our lives by unbiblical behavior, such as unforgiveness, or not being closely aligned with your wife, First Peter says. It's interesting to Greek, the New Testament term of uh, those, this idea of demon possessed is have a demon, or it speaks of people uh, suffering from demonic influence. But there's some things in Scripture which are clear that we don't see. We never read of casting of demon out of a, a believer. We don't see that. And since believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it seems contrary to the work of the Holy Spirit to allow a demon to possess the person that he's indwelling. Also, there's a distinct difference between being possessed and being oppressed or influenced. The case for demon possession of a believer, I don't think, can be made scripturally. To me, it's best to simply recognize that there can be varying degrees of demonic influence or attack, even on Christians, and just leave it at that. It's a futile discussion, and scripturally, there's no basis for this idea of a Christian being demon-possessed. But make no mistake, there's demons who are active, which brings me to a second question I've been asked quite often. What about territorial demons? I mean, do certain demons set up residence? Is there a is there certain demon or, or hierarchy of demonic influence in Kokato that's specifically assigned to Kokato? Are there territorial demons? And are there certain sinful behaviors that can be identified with a demon? Those are questions I had, so let's let's talk about them. First of all, not all sin and evil is from Satan and demons. Well, what I mean is. Emphasis in Scripture is telling people not to sin and to seek righteousness. Example, 1 Corinthians, the problem of dissension. Paul does not say to the Corinthian church, rebuke a spirit of dissension. What he does say is simply agree and be united in mind and heart. It's about your behavior. You can't blame it on a spirit of dissension. When a problem of incest arose, Paul says, it doesn't say rebuke a spirit of incest, but be outraged. Exercise church discipline until the offender repents. And you usually repent, you always repent when there's sinful behavior. 
You can't push it off on a spirit. Behavior is required. Biblical behavior. There's not a demon behind every bush. When it came to the problem of going to court to sue other believers, Paul does not command the church to cast out a spirit of litigation or selfishness. But he says to settle it within the church and be willing to give up your own interests. Now the practice of those who would say that oftentimes is to excuse sin. But there's another issue called strategic spiritual warfare, which you may have heard about, read about, certainly internet you see about, that I'd like to just say a couple things the New Testament does not say or support. New Testament doesn't support this idea that you can summon a territorial demon upon entering an area to preach the gospel. We don't see that happen. We don't see Paul or others walk into an area and summon up a demon who's the demon of that territory. We don't see that anywhere. So those who would say, hey, you need to, when you go bring the gospel into your workplace, you need to summon out and call on the table or call on a carpet all those demons. We don't, we don't see that. We also don't demand information from demons about local demonic hierarchy, where there are those who are told, hey, when it comes to spiritual warfare, you need to be strategic, you need to engage, you need to identify and even call out from demons information about what they're doing. Even demand it. We don't, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't say, see anything in scripture that, scripture that we should teach or believe information derived from demons. In other words, I'm not going to stand up here and say, Demon Harry last week told me that this, this, and this. I, the, if a demon did say, demon's got no word, I got no word, God's got the word. That's the word we stand on. The only thing we can offer that's truth and brings freedom. And, but there's a reason we're told not to, we're not told to do these things, I should say. And then scripture doesn't support the idea that we teach by word or example that certain demonic strongholds over a city have to be broken before the gospel can be preached. What a horrible thing to think. We can't go in there with the gospel. There's a demonic oppression first we need to somehow knock down first. No, what we are told is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The gospel transforms. That's why we're told to preach the gospel. I really fear for those who teach us strategic spiritual warfare to the degree that we begin to engage the demonic realm in conversations. That's a dangerous thing to do. I don't know how your prayer life is, and uh, I know sometimes like when you're attacked by a demon and you know it is. I mean, you know either it's deception or whatever, or oppressive uh, experience or something, and you know it's demons. I don't know how your prayer life is, and, and sometimes you're like, well, should I talk to the demon, tell it to knock it off? You know what, right? I mean, in an innocent way, you're not sure really how to pray about it. And, and I tend to go to the direction of talk to the hand. Father, I'm getting attacked by a knucklehead back here who you've already destroyed and defeated. I stand in you. I'm not going to give him the time of day. So I almost go the other way. I'm not going to talk to any demons. I got, uh, got nothing to say to them. But I got a God who's defeated them. I think I'll let him fight my battle. And, uh, and so that's kind of the way I go with it. But I re- so I really cringe when I hear teaching on this, and it's unfortunately way too um, widespread. Now, I want to note, of course, there's demonic opposition may arise. Or God himself may even reveal the nature of a certain demonic oppression, opposition. I'm not saying that might not happen. I'll never put God in a box. And when that happens, Christians should pray and battle against that in prayer, and I would say together would be a wise thing to do. 
But we need to accept our own responsibility to obey the Lord and not shift blame for our sinful actions onto some demonic force or get sidetracked fighting and naming demons. Instead, walk in obedience out of a love for Jesus and preach the gospel. Keep that your focus. And God will bless that. That that I'm assured of. That the scriptures testify to. And so we have demons who promote Satan's doctrine, his destructiveness, and his distractions. In this, I can include several things. Satan's distractions are numerous. He's got a lot of avenues. TV, programs, psychic hotlines, newspapers, horoscopes, websites that purport to offer people spiritual guidance and advice. I think there's far too many dabbling in these things and open themselves up to evil. Demons want to lure your focus away from Christ, your dependence upon Christ. Leviticus 19.31 is a passage. Just God warns his people. He says, stay away. Stay away from these magicians, these spiritists who are deceptive because there's demonic behavior behind it. Acts 19.19, people who were saved in Ephesus brought all their magic books and burned them. Because there are those who practiced magical arts. These people who came to faith in Christ almost knew instinctively by this new birth that this is something I shouldn't be a part of. And they brought them and got rid of them. Now you might say, well, there can't be that much out there, is there? I mean, demons want to do everything to keep us sidetracked and distract us. Think of how much time you might spend doing things instead of time in the Word. Or you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, I could read the Bible, but I got this, 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 and this. I mean, there's, there's all those little things and then big things. There's a, a blog I came on. I just wanted to see. Trust me, uh, I'm not going this way. But I wanted to give you an example of some distractions that demons are using. Astrology. This is a blog on astrology. And here's just one person's question. They're kind of engaging um, each other. How much insight does one's progress chart give into the native's future? Currently, my progress Mercury is a conjunct Pluto at an extremely tight orb. With me? I have found in this placement symptoms to be quite prevalent in my life as of now. I'm driving myself absolutely mad overthinking simple things. I've been snooping and finding problems in places that are completely problem-free. It's beginning to ruin my relationship. I feel like a real mad woman. Any advice? (laughs) I got a few things. Um, By the way, progressed charts, when it gets to astrology, they describe different phases in our life as well as inner urges. That's kind of what they're talking about. Here's her by the way. By the way, I dated a guy who had a Mercury square Pluto at a zero-degree orbit as natal chart. Yikes. That guy's better off without her, I'm thinking. Anyways, he always thought I was cheating. It ultimately ended our relationship. Has anyone else had uh, these type of experiences with Pluto-Mercury peeps? And then it also goes on this answer. She, this other person kind of answers in a weird way, but then says, I also think progressed charts how, uh, show how we evolve. So you got this astrology. People kind of looking at the alignment and astrologies and saying, what should I do with my life? What decision should I make? And you don't think the enemy's there? Sure he is. Demons, they promote Satan's distractions. And so we have these demons who promote Satan's agenda, but we also have demons who flat out just oppose God. Demons are active every day. They look for whatever avenue they can find 
to oppose God. They oppose God's position. Go to Deuteronomy 32, 16. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 16 to 17. Now, the context of Deuteronomy 32 to just basically, this is a song of Moses that he's begun. And in the midst of this song, he identifies uh, this man, Jushurun, and talked about how he'd been led astray and exactly what it looked like. Verse 16, they, the people Jushurun was part of, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abnomitions, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. But you were mindful of the rock that bore you. And you forgot you were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. People didn't see demons. They did not think they were sacrificing to demons. But behind every idol was a demon. Idolatry simply is worshiping any person or thing other than God. It's giving your allegiance, unrivaled devotion to someone or something other than God. And behind the idol, there's a demon. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 22, Paul's talking to the church at communion time. And he says, this communion is designed, I'm paraphrasing, for intimacy with the Lord. But Paul says, say, the demons also set a table. Demons also set a table that entices believers. You say, well, what? I mean, how can, how can someone commune at a table with demons? What's this about? And what Paul's saying, what other scriptures affirm, is that when one partakes of an idol that belongs to a godless, unbelieving world, we let its idol become ours, and we enter into communion with demons and provoke the Lord to jealousy. I fear many in the churches in America dine at two tables. On Sunday at the Lord's table and on Monday at the tables of demons because they're engaged in idolatry. And that doesn't mean just a little wooden statue. That means anything we exalt in our life above God can become an idol. That's a dangerous place to be. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Shall have no other gods before me. God means business when that. So an idol is anything that can take place and there's demonic influence behind it, be assured. Because Satan does not want you worshiping God. The demonic realm opposes God. And so watch what you engage with. Watch what you give yourself to. The demonic realm opposes God's precepts. We talked Genesis 3 some weeks ago. Matthew 4, when Satan came before Jesus, he quoted scripture, trying to distort, oppose God's precepts. And while we've opposed much of this, there is an enemy of truth, and he has an army called the demons we're talking about. And this demonic opposition comes with its lies. But God's word is a clear standard to measure anything against. But be assured the demonic realm attacks inerrancy, relevance, and inspiration of Scripture. And boy, do you see that. Because if the demonic realm can get people to look at Scripture as just a book, no different than any other book, if the demonic realm can get us to look at Scripture and say, yeah, maybe there's some things of God in there, but not all of it is. 
But the demonic realm can get the voices of the atheists so loud that the voices of Christians are so quiet, he's gaining ground. I mean, that's what they seek to do, pervert and oppose God's precepts. Demons also oppose God's purity. Now, we've looked at the vileness and corruption of Satan and his demons last week and a little bit this week, but I want you to go to a little passage, a little book right before Revelation called Jude. There's only one chapter. Jude addresses and reveals this judgment that will be on false teachers. In the midst of it, he says something very interesting. Verse 6, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serves as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. What Jude is simply saying is there's, there's demons who pervert human sexuality. It was part of the problem in Sodom and Gomorrah. They promoted and perverted human sexuality. I'm sure that's not happening today. Right? Oh my goodness. There's things now that 10, 15 years ago I never would have dreamt would ever be taught. Just read about a school in a city that we used to live in who now is doing this new gender neutrality thing. It's part of their curriculum. Of course, parents are outraged. They should be. And so there's these these teachings that are going on, and because Satan's, Satan opposes, the demonic realm is in clear opposition to God's purity. Why? Because they know God's central characteristic is his holiness, his purity. There's no one like God who's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. So, of course, they would oppose anything that would resemble and reflect the Creator. I mean, how do you think it's possible for drug users to keep coming up with new and harmful drugs because demons keep new batches coming? How can pornography grow to such gruesome and, and, and widespread extent because the enemy is always publishing, always looking for new ways? They always oppose God's purity at every step. That's why it's so important in our battle with sin we must be quick to confess our sin and call upon the only one who could forgive us to be cleansed by the blood of Christ because without the blood we can get, have no freedom or cleansing from sin's impurity. Demons want to see you and I defeated and often that defeat comes because of the result of us engaging in impurities. He opposes, Satan in the demonic realm opposes God's purity. They also oppose God's people. Here's where spiritual warfare in our life, it maybe seems to really heat up. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 18, Paul, this is such a compassionate letter, as he speaks to the church in Thessalonica, he says, I really wanted to come to you guys. In fact, I tried over and over. But Satan hindered us. You see, Satan in the demonic realm, they oppose God's people, they oppose ministry. Demons oppose us by tempting us to sin constantly dropping seeds of thought that later produce a messy harvest if we yield. Boy, it's no mistake who's behind disunity. We have an enemy who longs to disunify God's people. I think the demonic realm probably has a little more fear of the power of unity and understanding of unity 
than we do. And thus he seeks to oppose it. James 3, 13 through 16, when a church is in disunity somewhere in this mess, we're going to find selfish ambition, selfish desires, because hell loves to see believers at each other's throats. That's why we're told over and over, preserve the spirit of unity. Pursue unity. Jesus prayed for unity. It's an important part of our outreach. No, reason, no wonder demons oppose God's people. Demons know what they're doing. They're not divided in their agenda. They're in agreement on what they're trying to do. Promote Satan and oppose God. They don't want you or I to be unified. They don't want you and I to be aware. So even talking about this, this week, I'm like, God, please make, protect me. Because you know, when you try to expose the enemy, the enemy probably wouldn't be too terribly happy. So how do we respond to this? Okay, Matt, the scriptures are clear. There's demons active. Yeah, they have an agenda. I hear what you're saying. But what does this mean to me day in and day out? There's two exhortations I want to give to you today. One, don't get distracted. Demons, it's true. They're active. They're dangerous. They attack. But how we fortify our life is so crucial. Don't be distracted. Don't get sidetracked by worldly desires temporal bondages, fruitless pursuits. Don't be distracted by astrology or anything else that would distract you from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Remain faithful to God in your relationship with him, in his call on your life. Keep your love for God strong. When you do, you have the power of God operating in your lives on a regular basis. You're going to walk in victory. But don't become distracted. And don't get lazy. Demons' deceptions always promoted. They always will. So stay grounded in the truth. If I could say one thing, and I hope you'll really cling to, a closed Bible is an invitation to the demonic realm. You need to understand that. A closed Bible, you are inviting the demonic realm and saying, I'm not going to spend any time hearing what God has to say. I'm not going to spend any time reading truth. Okay. And they're like, okay, good, we'll fill the void. You need to get in the scriptures. An unread Bible is a ticket for defeat. A compromising Christian says, let's not get too carried away about this doctrine thing. We'll leave that for the pastors or the teachers. By remaining faithful to scripture reading and accurate interpretation, we can experience power and victory in a Christian life. Stay in the word. Do not get lazy. It's a recipe for disaster. So don't get sidetracked. Don't get lazy. Her name was Shannon, and uh, her parents called me in the middle of the night some years ago. So Matt, we're concerned about Shannon, and, and she, she, wants, she wants us to call you. Could you come over? Now, I'm not usually good in the middle of the night. So I'm driving over, and I got no idea what I'm walking into. They did mention she feels gripped by fear. That was the only clue I had going into it. And so I knew Shannon fairly well from youth group. She was in a youth group I was leading. And, um, and when I got there, she was gripped clearly by fear. Rigid, just real rigid, and, and you could see really struggling. As we began to talk about some things and read some scripture and different things, she began to slowly share some compromises she made. She was a believer. And she compromised in her walk with God. And she admitted she hadn't been reading the Bible daily, and she'd begun to believe some things. Information she received from other sources that were clearly demonic in nature. They opposed the truth. Was Shannon a bad Christian? No. 
But what she was was distracted and lazy. And she opened the door for Satan to come in and gain a foothold. Don't mess with the demonic realm. They'll mess you up. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because it's a war, but we have victory in Christ. So walk in that victory secured by Christ, keeping aligned with the victory manual, his word. Be strong in the Lord and in his word. Let's pray. Lord, it's sobering to read in the scriptures that we have an enemy. And my prayer for your people this morning is not that we leave here cowering or fearful. Far from it. God, help us to leave weary, for sure, aware that the de- and our enemy has schemes. Organized army called demons has an agenda. Help us to be aware of that. To not ignore it. Lord, to be discerning. But God, help us to understand we don't fight for victory. We fight from a position of victory. We already have victory. So God, help us to stay true to what you've revealed in your word. Help us to stand on it, whether our emotions, whether everyone around us says something else. Lord, help us to stand firm in your truth. It's your truth that sets us free. It's your truth that exposes the lies of our enemy. And so God, we choose to stand in you. Lord, keep us hungry for your words. Keep us dependent upon you. So God, whatever efforts or or ground the enemy may have gained in our life, God, you would take it back and transform us at the deepest level. Lord, that we be a Christian that that the gates of hell would fear because of your operation in our life. So we submit to you, we surrender to you. And Jesus, we just call upon you to help us this day, this week, as your children, to walk in victory. It's your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.